We're in a series at, at Gateway South Osborne at the moment on what's important. The series is coming out of a few verses in the middle of Mark 12 where the religious leaders come to Jesus and say, tell us the most important commandment. So there's this short dialogue there and it boils down to loving God and loving people. And loving people, of course, has to do both with loving people within the community of believers and also reaching out to those that are not yet believers. So we have these clever little arrow diagrams. One is vertical, meaning connecting with God, welcoming him to come and connect with us. The inward-facing arrow is meaning fellowship within the body of Christ, which is such a precious and marvelous thing. That's what we want to look at this morning. And then outreach, going out beyond our own fences. So what's important, what we want to look at this morning is being part of something bigger than ourselves. In 1 Corinthians, we get these very impacting words from uh, the Apostle Paul. Just two or three uh, verses in chapter 12. Here's what Paul tells us. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. If you've been through membership classes, etc. here, you might think, well, gee, yeah, I'm a part of the body because I signed up for Gateway 100 or some such thing, and I attend a particular church and I tithe there, etc. Well, good for you. The Lord bless you. That's looking at it on a human plane. Paul's looking at it from above seeing that our joining into the church of Christ is something the Holy Spirit has done. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Fast forward down to verse 26. If one member suffers, <coughs> all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. There's two halves of that last statement. You are, you corporately, Paul says. He's speaking here, of course, to the church in the city of Corinth. You are the body of Christ. That's the corporate half, but then the second half of the same verse, and individually, each one of us, you individually are members of it, both a corporate and an individual side. Now, what is it that's so important in this? That's the the point of our series. What's important? What's important is this. Being part of the church is about being part of something bigger than ourselves. And that DNA, that way of doing things, that way that reality works, it's like God's DNA and it's everywhere. Being part of something bigger than ourselves, we see it in creation. We live, of course, on a planet 
The planet, according compared to each of us physically, is huge, but that planet is itself part of something bigger. It's part of the solar system. And the solar system is itself part of something bigger. It's part of a galaxy. Our particular galaxy, astronomers call it the Milky Way galaxy. But this being part of something bigger than itself goes beyond the galaxy. Astronomers tell us, I wish I had the, the, or the picture, it was, came out years ago from National Geographic magazine, it was this huge fold out of a picture of the stars, but it showed how there's the solar system that is part of the galaxy, the galaxy is part of what's called a cluster, a cluster of galaxies, referring to a group of galaxies that are relatively close together in the vast, vast, vast reaches of space. So you've got a cluster. But they went beyond that. They said that the scientists keep discovering with the Hubble telescope and radio telescopes how vast everything is. So you've got clusters, you've got a cluster of galaxies, but then our cluster that we're part of is part of a cluster of clusters. That doesn't stop there. There's clusters of clusters of clusters. This grouping, God just built it in everywhere. It's like a prophetic picture. This is the way it works, people. When I get involved, everything fits into something bigger than itself. That's a God thing. Being part of something bigger than ourselves. We see it in creation. We see it in Israel. A society, a culture, birthed by God and with God's DNA in it. You would begin with a single individual Israelite, a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl, but that individual is part of something bigger than himself, bigger than herself. They're part of a family. But the family, that family, nuclear family, is part of some bigger, it's part of something bigger than itself. It's part of a clan. If you study the Old Testament, the people lived as clans. But each clan, or all the clans, pardon me, various clans were themselves part of something bigger than themselves. Do you see this pattern just keeps replicating itself everywhere? The clans are part of something bigger than themselves, namely a tribe. Israel had 12 tribes. And whatever clan you were in, your clan was part of one of the 12 tribes. But it doesn't stop there. The 12 tribes, of course, were each part of something bigger than itself, than themselves, namely the nation, Israel, the covenant people raised up by God from Abraham and Sarah over many generations. And interestingly, it doesn't even stop there. Israel, of course, in biblical history, in a biblical worldview, Israel is utterly, utterly unique. There's only one. But alongside Israel's uniqueness, Israel is still, according to Scripture, part of the community of nations. God sets that nation called Israel in the midst of the other nations to be a light to the nations. 
And the ultimate fulfilling of that, being the light to the nations, is that Israel brought the world Christ. He is the light of the nations, and through him and through his Holy Spirit, we can be part of that light. Have a look later, Genesis twenty-two eighteen. God speaking to Abraham, great statement, and it's expanded a little bit in the shortest psalm about Israel among the nations, and that's Psalm 117. It's only two or three verses long. Now, where we, this is all lead up. I've been taxiing down the runway for a minute, a few minutes. All this is leading up to this point, being part of something bigger than ourselves, how it manifests in church. We read those verses from 1 Corinthians. In one spirit, we are baptized into a body, the body of Christ, one body, many members, one body. Remember that in biblical times, baptism, and we still follow this way of doing it here, baptism was done by immersion. That's been a controversy over the years. Is there a single proper way to do it? You know, sprinkling, pouring, whatever. Well, we do it by immersion. We can't help it if we're right. I mean, that's just the way it's, we do it. It's by immersion. And usually other applications of the word baptized carry that same sense of being immersed. When you put your baby in the bath, that's immersion. Now here's something that may or may not, depending on your temperament this morning, immediately resonate within you as good news. If what we're saying is true, it means that part of what the Holy Spirit's doing is immersing you in other people. I'm called to be immersed with all of you, with Aaron and Norm. Maybe you're thinking, hey, wait a minute, I thought this was supposed to be good news here this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Help us, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Well, if if there's an anti-social streak in you, there sure is in me, I admit it. Time to repent. Because God is into this thing in a big way. Everything he makes and does and ordains and creates is part of something bigger than itself. Immersed in people. And this is as practical as can be. Paul goes on in that chapter, if one member suffers, what's he say? We all suffer. If one member is honored, we all rejoice. Your problems and your victories become mine, and mine become yours. Now, the thing that we need so deeply to get hold of and let it get hold of us is this. This whole thing we're talking about, being part of something bigger than ourselves, especially as it applies to church, it is a Holy Spirit thing. If we try and do it in our own strength, it'll give new meaning to falling flat in our faces. It's got to be a Holy Spirit thing. Here's a very, very, very brief survey, very condensed and incomplete, of things the Holy Spirit does. He draws us to Christ. We say this, we see this very vividly in Acts 
on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit comes down and there's thousands of people there for Passover on that historic day, huge crowd. And when Peter preached the gospel, we're told, Luke tells us, historian Luke, the people were cut to the heart. I would call that conviction of the Holy Spirit drawing them in. And they cry out to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what must we do? The Spirit is drawing them to Christ. You know what? It's not unlikely there were people in that crowd who got saved that day who were cheering when they saw Christ go to the cross. That's what a radical thing God was doing. Is the same basic community, ethnic Israel of that day. They rejected Christ, but then in one day, Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved. What must we do? What was happening? The Holy Spirit was happening. He was softening hard hearts and drawing them in. That's one of the things the Holy Spirit does. He enables us, another one, to live for Christ. So not only does he draw us in, he enables us. He gives us the power, Romans 8.10, if by the Spirit, Paul says, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. What's that mean? Does that mean I can stop sinning? Well, it does if we go with what Paul says in that verse. First part of the verse says, if by the Spirit. In other words, not in our own strength, gritting our teeth. If by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body, or the misdeeds, the things we're doing that we shouldn't be doing, we can put those to death. If we respond and rely on the Holy Spirit. That's the second thing. A second thing the Spirit does. He enables us to live for Christ. Another one. This is popular with us charismatic types. He gives us things like prophecy, tongues, all the gifts of the Spirit that he talks about mostly in 1 Corinthians, but elsewhere as well. These are Holy Spirit things. Now what we're looking at this morning is another Holy Spirit thing that perhaps we haven't engaged with enough, and now's the time to engage with it because it's on God's what's important list. He joins us to something bigger than ourselves. He immerses us in people, a particular community. There's great merit. I haven't got it right over the years in countless ways as a Christian, but one thing I did right. I got saved when I was 17. For five years, I was in the wilderness as far as church involvement. I moved to Winnipeg Gateway, what was then called Mount Zion Church, was just getting going. And I, I think it was like a second conversion for me. I had seen the Lordship of Jesus when I was 17, were, followed that in a very imperfect way. But when I came here, I came to this, the beginnings of this church decades ago now, I saw that the church is a high-ticket item with God and that committing to a particular local manifestation of the church is the way to go. There's lots of people, it's a very common thing. I belong to the church universal. Okay. Trying to get the church universal to bring you lasagna when you're sick. A particular local group of people that you're committed to, a house group, local church, 
It's a different thing. At least it can be. It should be a different thing. The Spirit does all these things, draws us to Christ, empowers us to live for Him, but He then, He, along with those things, He joins us to something bigger than ourselves. This is not an option. It's not an add-on. It's part of God's plan. Now, what's this joining lead to? The Spirit's joining. I have one of my famous paintings here. There it is. This Spirit's, the joining, He joins us to the body. He immerses us in the body. It leads to a little phrase that comes out close on a hundred times in the New Testament. One another. Love one another. Pray for one another, etc. We call it one anothering. And when we get immersed in people, which is a work of the Holy Spirit, we start one anothering. Here's a few examples. There's way more we could talk about. Serving one another in practical ways. Yeah, I'll give you a ride. Yeah, I'll help you with that. It means bearing one another's burdens. This week, uh, as some of you may know, the, the leaders of Gateway meet together customarily on Wednesday mornings, and we talk about their church renewal material, and there's usually a time where we go around the circle and confess sins, with some of us that takes a while, but we, we, we try and open up what's going on in our lives. This particular past Wednesday, partly because I was still very, very sick, and I almost didn't go to the meeting, I stopped at three shoppers' drug marts on the way to the meeting looking for a face mask, and they were all sold out. But, so I hope I didn't breathe my f- blessing onto the brothers that were there. During the meeting, there was something I thought, I need to unload about this. And, it wasn't in, and I didn't even think I needed to talk about it in front of everybody else. It was a struggle I was having, a decision I needed to make. What do I do? So we were... Um, Dismissing at the end of the meeting around noon on this past Wednesday. And I pulled Norm aside. And I said, do you have a few minutes? I need to chat kind of one-on-one. And it was a burden. That's the best description. This was not some deep, dark, weird sin or something. It was just, it was a burden. Something I didn't know what to do with or about. And I unloaded it. And it was like I took off a heavy backpack full of, what do you call it, like cinder blocks or something, laid it on the floor and said, look, what do I do with this? And Norm, in a very, very few minutes, said, Dave, I think such and such. He gave me a different perspective. I thought, I said, Norm, that's right. That is it. That's why I've been frustrated about this. What he was doing in that brief visit was bearing, help, bearing another person's burden. Galatians 6.2, that's what we're supposed to do. Bear one another's burdens. Hey, brother, are you carrying something around that God hasn't assigned to you? What do you, what do you think is going on? These are two ways of one anothering. And one anothering is the expression we discover in being immersed in one another and in being a part of something bigger than ourselves. A couple of more one another's. Praying for one another. Norm prayed for me before we started the meeting, the, the sermon. We, the back, in the little room at the back of the building this morning, we are praying for the whole meeting, for the worship team, for the children, for the sermon. 
We pray with one another. We pray for one another. Shortly after I came to Christ, as I've alluded to not several times before, I was then 17. My family was very unstable. There was all sorts of relational trouble within the family. And I had just come to Christ, and I went away on my first sort of Christian weekend retreat. I had never been on a thing like that. And this was specifically for Christians, and we were spending time studying the Bible and praying and whatnot. And in, in one of the sessions, they said, how many of you got something you're troubled about, you're struggling with right now? I said, yeah, I'm raising my hand, stuff at home with my family. So it didn't go any further in that moment than that. I went up to my room. We were staying in sort of a dormitory place. I was just getting ready for bed, and there's a knock on the little teeny room I was sleeping in. It was one of the people that were leading the retreat, and then he said, Dave, um, I just want to tell you, I'll be, I, I can resonate with your struggle about family. I'm going to pray, pray for you, and would you like me to pray for you about that right now? I still remember this moment. It's the first time anybody, because I'd only been a Christian a few months, it's the first time anybody had ever said, I'd like to pray for you. Would you let me pray for you, like, right now? This was a whole new ballgame for me. And I was blown away. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, please, please do. It put hope in my heart. This guy calling on the Lord was going to be the opportunity of God getting involved in the mess. But I felt comforted because I felt his care And knocking on the door, it was late at night saying, do you want me to pray for you? Let me pray for you. Praying for one another, it's one of the one another's. It's part of one anothering. Confessing our sins to one another. James, hugely, hugely helpful and redemptive. More time than I care to think. I've had to do this with the elders or just with Christian brothers And without exception, over the years, I'm looking back now, when I've known that there's something I need to get out of the darkness, out of secret, out in the open, and then talk to somebody about it. Two things have happened without exception every time. Every time I had one of those situations. One is, I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I looked at something I shouldn't have looked at. I got mad at somebody in a hugely hurtful way, whatever. I didn't want to have to take ownership and admit it and confess it to somebody else. I never wanted to do it. That's the first thing. And second, every time I did do it, I was hugely glad after because I felt a weight would go off my shoulders. Maybe for you this morning... You need to bring, go and talk to someone that you trust and bring something into the light, confessing our sins to one another. You know, God will forgive you for the sin because of Christ. Amen. A thousand amens. But sometimes on our own, for some reason I don't fully understand, we on our own don't have faith to say, yes, I know I'm forgiven. But a brother or a sister can say, you know what, you've brought it into the light. That means it's under Christ's blood. Rejoice in that, receive the freedom, and walk away from it. And sometimes we can hear that with greater confidence from somebody else than we will when we just tell ourselves that. So that's a little advertisement 
from a veteran of having had a lot of sins, he had to confess to another brother. I, I commend it. Being part of something bigger than ourselves. I want to give two examples. Now, one from the, um, if we could have the next slide, one from the Old Testament and one from the New. <coughs> a very compelling example of someone that understood that he himself was part of something bigger than himself is Psalm 3. Now, if you read the superscription at the beginning of that psalm, that's the little introduction. It'll usually say things like, to the choir master, according to the dove of the morning. Well, that was a melody. Um, Or a psalm of David. A goodly number of the psalms are psalms of David. Now, Psalm 3 is a David psalm. And according to the superscription, he wrote this little psalm. It's only eight verses long. It's a lament. A lament is a poem or a song written in a time of painful struggle, of sorrow, of despair, whatever. And David was in a horrific situation. This was written during the time, you can read about it in, I think it's in 2 Samuel, where his painfully, deeply estranged son called Absalom had turned viscerally, violently against his dad, against his father, David. And this was more than a shouting match at the dinner table. This was the, Absalom had stormed out of the family months ago and he was gathering an army and they were going to come to Jerusalem and take over and install Absalom as king and they were going to kill David. Talk about family strife. And in the middle of this, knowing his life was quite literally in danger, David writes Psalm 3. If you've got some time this afternoon, sit down and take an hour in that psalm. It's where we get that glorious line, my glory and the lifter of my head. We've all sung little choruses based on that verse. My glory and the lifter of my head. And and David is taking ownership of the depths of his anguish. My life is in pieces. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying God will not help him. He's hearing all these voices externally and internally. And then he says this, but you, O Lord, in a lament psalm, there's usually, almost always, a but verse. So he gives an inventory of everything that's so horribly wrong in his life, and then he says this, but. But you, O Lord, are a shield. Absalom's men could be at the door in an hour, which means I could be dead in an hour and a half. But you, O Lord, are a shield all around me, and here's the one I can never read without getting emotional, my glory and the lifter of my head. If you know that story, go give it a read. This psalm and the text behind it about Absalom, God deals with it. With great pain to David, but God does deal with it. Anyway, I'm off track here. We're talking about being a part of something bigger than ourselves. The point we want to make from Psalm 3, you can tell it's a bit of a favorite for me, is this, that in those dreadful hours or days 
where Paul, David is experiencing this, he sees even then that he's a part of something bigger than himself. We get it in the last verse, verse 8. Let your blessing be on your people. I would, I'll confess, I have a very good relationship with my son John. He grew up in Winnipeg. He lives in Scotland now. We have a good relationship. Just heard from him yesterday on an email. I can't even comprehend what it would be like if he was estranged from me, particularly to the degree Absalom was estranged from David of wanting to kill me. I wouldn't have the emotional equipment to deal with that. But if I was dealing with that, I can tell you this for sure. I wouldn't be fussed about praying for you lot. Are you with me here? David, even in this dreadful time of anguish, whatever we want to call it, he remembered he, he still, even then, saw himself as part of something bigger, namely Israel. So he cries out to God, Lord, even in all this horrible stuff flying around in my life, I want to ask you, let your blessing be on your people, the whole 12 tribes. He's seeing beyond his individual family, seeing beyond his clan, seeing beyond his tribe, the whole nation. Let your blessing be on your people. You know, Lord, we need, your, we need the Lord's help, don't we, to live this way. We always have stuff wanting to pull us into self-absorption, pull us into isolating ourselves if things aren't going well, and we, we just get separated. David didn't do that. Let's hold on to that verse, verse 8. Let's pray that kind of a thing. Let your blessing be on your people. That's an Old Testament example of seeing yourself as part of something bigger. Here's a New Testament one. In Galatians 4, Paul is recounting part of the history between himself as an apostle and the church in Galatia. And it had started really well, this connection. They welcomed the gospel. They welcomed Paul personally. Then, tragically, they had got off the rails with their, their doctrine. They got influenced by a group that now in church history studies we call the Judaizers. And the Judaizers were people very vocal and very persuasive. They said, well, sure, it's fine to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Okay, fine, no problem, but you still have to obey the law of Moses. You still need the Leviticus food laws. Circumcision is required, and they were hugely strict on Sabbath Regulation. They were legalistic about that. So for them, the Judaizers and the Galatians had fallen back into this. It was Christ plus the food laws, plus vigorous, rigorous Sabbath legalism, plus circumcision. What's under, what was underlying that and what Paul was pleading with the Galatians to see was that once Christ came, died, rose, and ascended, he is enough. The Judaizers didn't see the seismic shift God caused when he sent Jesus. Everything changed. Now, so he's trying to get them back on track, but he looks back before this controversy erupted in this church very painfully, and he recalls his initial connection. When he first came to Galatia, they welcomed the gospel, but even more than that, what we want to highlight right now is they welcomed him. 
Notice what he says in, in chapter 4, verse 13. Though my he had been sick. I forgot to mention that. When he arrived there initially to preach, he was really, really sick. I'm sure way sicker than I have been this week. We don't know the exact condition. It may have been something to do with his eyes. That's only a suggestion. But in later in chapter 4, Paul says, I can testify... If you could have, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. So some think that maybe there was an eyesight issue. Maybe he was losing his eyesight or it was some painful eye condition. We don't really know. That might have just been an expression, but he's, he was so touched by the way they looked after him. Well, he was supposed to be preaching and he was really, really sick and they welcomed him. So he'd been sick and he says this, though my condition was a trial to you. It's a very strong word there for trial in Greek. Though my condition was a trial to you. In other words, I was not an easy guest. You received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. I'd call that hospitality. Those people, even though they had to relearn some of the gospel about the sufficiency of Christ's saving work. You didn't need the food laws, okay. They had lost sight. They had lost sight of the sufficiency of Christ. Yes, this was part of the tragedy. But they did understand that they were a part of something bigger than themselves. I think I garbled that final comment. Say, just stay with me here. They did understand. Maybe they didn't understand some things about the law and the gospel relationship. Fair enough. They did understand they were part of something bigger than themselves and that this St. Paul fellow, when God brought him to Galatia, this was not a small thing. And they seeing themselves as part of something bigger, namely the worldwide advance of the gospel, that is what mattered. And by welcoming him into their midst and looking after him when he was sick, they were doing just that. They were seeing themselves as part of something bigger than themselves. Guys, brothers, sisters, we can't let this man die. Who can have him stay in in their house for a couple of weeks or whatever? This is big and we are part of something big called the church, called the advance of the kingdom of God in the earth. Something bigger than ourselves. We conclude. Part of something bigger than ourselves. My next work of art here. Very good. It's built into everything God does. Astronomers will testify to it even if they don't believe God exists. They'll tell us that everything out there, whatever you're looking at, it is part of something bigger yet. We see it in Israel, the individual, the family, the clan, the tribe, the nation, and that nation amidst the nations as a light to the nations, always a part of something bigger. And praise the Lord, we see it in the church. And do recall what we said at the beginning. This whole thing is a Holy Spirit thing. Here's some takeaways, and I'll turn back to Norm. One, we are part of something bigger than ourselves. You'll probably be hearing that in your sleep tonight. 
Two, it's a Holy Spirit thing. The same Spirit that at some point, if you're a Christian this morning, convicted you of sin and showed you your need for salvation, that Holy Spirit is the one who is drawing you into a commitment to a local community. He baptizes us into one body. It's a spirit work. Three, this means that, among other things, this introduces the one anothering. We suffer with those who suffer, and we rejoice with those. We suffer and we rejoice, both, with the people that we are joined to. So here's our homework. As we're leaving this morning, be asking the Lord, what's one thing I can do this week to grow in one anothering? See what he tells you. Amen.